Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. And uh, I'm going to uh, just ask you this morning, as, as always, but just to especially... Uh, Lean in with me today and make this journey because we are going somewhere. I want the Lord to speak to our heart here this morning. But uh, if you drift off somewhere along the way, you may miss the point. And uh, the book of Second Chronicles 26, and uh, while you're standing, we'll read verses 1 through 5. The Bible says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father, all that his father Amaziah did. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had the understanding and the visions of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. I think it's very important that we pause. Amen. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. I want to speak to you today from this subject, generation to generation. Now, it'll take me a few minutes for that to make sense, but if the Lord will help us, I'm going to try to connect a thought that I feel that God has put in my heart. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord, and I just ask you to let's make this journey together. As we begin to read about this young man that God so apparently had his hand upon. We see nothing but great things for his future. It just seems as though everything is in place for God to honor and bless and uh, anoint the path that was before him. It seems that he's doing everything right. If we were to continue reading, I'm, I'm just for the sake of time going to abbreviate as much of this as possible, but Verse 6 says that he warred against the Philistines. Verse 7 declares that God helped him in that battle and he was victorious. Verse 8, the Bible talks about the Ammonites, uh, that the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah and his name spread abroad. And the scripture makes an interesting statement. It says his name spread abroad even to the entering in Egypt. Uh, which was just a phrase to talk about the breadth of the land, which described the, the reach, the breadth of, Uz- of Uzziah's influence. And so this is a man that what I'm trying to, to point out and pause here long enough to point out is the fact that this was not a man who was living in the shadows. This is not a man whose life and influence was just upon a few and a little tiny hammock hidden behind the mountain. But God had blessed him, and his name was was spread. His influence was great. A very influential man of his day. As you continue reading, you will see that he had great cattle. He had a great host of men that were not just men that were aimlessly following him, but they were valiant men of war. These men numbered in the tens of thousands. The scripture is um, concise in the sense to tell us that he made weapons of warfare for all of those men that he, he, uh, he empowered them with things like shields and spears and helmets and bows and, and uh, he gave them uh, slings to cast stones with in battle. 
The Bible says in verse 15 that he made in Jerusalem an interesting word, in my opinion, especially when we find it in the Old Testament. The Bible says that he made in Jerusalem engines, engines, uh, not a combustible engine as we know it necessarily, but engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. Or, or in other words, uh, the scripture means exactly what it says. He had created implements of war, if you will, that would shoot the arrows and that would that would aim large stones. And so uh, this, this was a very sharp individual. The verse goes on and to, to say, And his name spread far abroad, and he was marvelously helped, the scripture says, till he was strong, till he was strong. There's something about, there's just something about those embryonic days of our life where we are struggling to become something in the hand of God. And it's right there when God begins to bless our lives and we begin to see a little bit of fruit of what God has promised and we begin to see some things grow in our lives we that at that moment is where we need to start exercising great caution great caution when god begins to bless when god begins to do great things how wonderful it would be if we could just stop this story here today and uh, i've just told you a little bit about a great man who did some great things and let's all stand and be dismissed hope you have a great day it would just be wonderful if we could just stop right here and say there are still people that know how to be used of god and uh, thank the Lord, and it's been a good, good to see you. But if, if we were to do that, we would not be telling the whole story. Because the opening words of, of verse 16, in, in these opening words, we see a shift in the character. We see a shift in the spirit and the attitude of this man. The Bible, uh, the Bible says, uh, talks about this shift, uh, a shift that I think it's important to understand that that what happened in his spirit didn't just affect him. What was about to unfold in his life was not just going to happen on his little acre of ground and it would all be self-contained right there. No harm, no foul. God would just take care of this. But you see, uh, those seeds have have a way to get blown in the wind. And after a while, they find themselves growing growing wild. The Bible talks about this change. Verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26 the scripture says, but when he was strong, his heart, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Now think about that. Uh, I, I'm not certainly trying to imply today that no one could ever be mightily used of God without keeping their own personal life in check. I know that can happen. Uh, we have many, many uh, instances of that before us where men and women mightily used of God. As a matter of fact, what uh, we just shared a couple of Wednesday nights ago, what we were just exposed to at our prayer conference, uh, Sister Vesta Mangan at the ripe old age of 80 is standing behind the pulpit speaking words of hope and comfort to us. But you know what? There was a more powerful message than that that was even being uttered by her lips. And that is that here is a lady that has lived nine decades and she still has a good name. Nine decades and she still has a walk with God. Nine decades and she still has her integrity with God, although they have been mildly, as a family, mildly used of God. And so I'm not implying that you can't rise with God without failing. But what I am saying today, that when God begins to bless a church, when God begins to bless, let me back it up, when God begins to bless an individual, if God begins to bless a family, or God begins to bless a church, we had never better take that for granted. Amen. Because just because someone has a body may have the spirit of unity, it doesn't mean that unity is there to stay. Amen. Without cultivating that, that can be lost. Without keeping our spirit right, then we can lose that with God. Individually, as a family, or as a body, or we can take that right on up the chain. An entire organization can get off kilter with God. And so we must be very careful that when, our, when his heart was strong, the Bible says, and when he was strong, rather, his heart was lifted up. And listen, the Bible says, For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went 
into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Well, to the casual reader, you may not really understand the magnitude or the gravity of what uh, has really taken place right here. The phrase that I think should strike fear into the air, into every heart is this, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. Now, the nature of this transgression is found in the last portion of verse 6 because he says, here's the transgression. He went into the temple. He went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. What we need to keep in mind right here is that Uzziah was the king, not the priest. Not the priest. No matter how broad your name has spread, no matter how wonderful your fame may be, no matter how high God may elevate you, we need to understand that God didn't place him above the priesthood. There still needed to be a voice in his life. There, there, there still needed to be something in his life that he realizes, I can do this, but I can't do that. I can go here, but I can't go there. I, I will tell you that God didn't just wink at this. God didn't just, uh, God didn't just wag his head at this. Amen. They, they, these two titles, king and priest, they're very different. They're very different uh, in nature. They are certainly different in the eyes of the Lord. God ordained the priest to make the sacrifices. That was his job. Yet, yet somehow Uzziah got so lifted up that he thought it would just be okay. It'll be all right if I go in and touch these sacred vessels. It will be all right if I walk in. After all, I am Uzziah. Uh, you know, I, I, I think sometimes about, I'm not even sure if this is a true story, but the premise of it you'll get uh, where, where someone was trying to get, I think the, the, the story I heard, the way I heard it was somebody was trying to board an airplane and they weren't presenting their proper uh, ID or whatever. And so they kept saying, uh, he kept saying, do you know who I am? To the little person behind the counter, do, do you know who I am? And she kept saying, this is what you got to have. This, do you know who I am? And finally, uh, with her quick wit, she grabbed the microphone and asked for, for someone above her to come because she said, we have a man here at the counter that doesn't know who he is. <laughs> so I think sometimes we are that that... That do you know who I am? I mean, it, I mean, the water should part when we walk in the room. But you know, it doesn't matter how mildly God uses us in some areas of our lives. We have to realize we're flesh and blood, and everybody may not view us in that light. And there are some areas where where Uzziah, you're just going to be Uzziah. And in the temple, you're just going to be Uzziah. Uh, at, the, at the temple, you're just going to be Uzziah. Uh, I, I'm thankful for God's mercy. Now, you know, sometimes we think mercy is always warm and fuzzy. We think mercy is just always kind of cuddly. But mercy doesn't always come packaged that way. Because sometimes mercy comes. You know, the, Jude talked about some uh, you've got to snatch. Some you've got to pull out. Some there's got to be some aggression that is used to save them. And so here is God's mercy in verse Verses 17 and 18. And Azariah the priest, when Uzziah went marching into the, into the temple to, to do the sacrifices, to partake of that, when, when Azariah the priest saw this, he list, listened at what the Bible says, and Azariah went in after him. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. But, but Azariah didn't go by himself because the Bible says that four score with him, four score priests of the Lord that were valiant men. The term four score, the phrase four score means 80. And so here's 81 voices that went marching in after him. That seems a little like an overkill, wouldn't you think? That seems like a little, maybe an overreaction. Not so because they understood the magnitude of how out of order and how out of line that Uzziah was. Amen. You can't do this, Uzziah. And then they withstood the king, the Bible says in verse 18. And they said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priest, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast 
trespass. You have overstepped a very valuable and important line. And so here are the priests saying, I don't care how many people sing your praises. It doesn't matter how many songs have been written in your honor. It matters not how many people faint when you walk by. When it comes to the temple, you get out of here. Eighty-one, that would be quite a choir. That would be quite a voice that would be saying, you got this doesn't uh, pertain to you and you need to get out. Thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. Now, the, that mercy that I'm talking about was, was really a form of rebuke, but it was God's mercy that was saying, you have overstepped the line. You have gone too far. Now, I have no idea, nor do you, what would have happened here if Uzziah had just simply obeyed the voices of these priests and said, you know what? I don't know what. I, I kind of got intoxicated on my own uh, importance, my own self-importance there, and and uh, I, I don't know what would have happened if he had come to his senses. Amen. I, I mentioned not just one messenger, but eighty-one messengers. Amen. And and so I I think that the turning point is all wrapped up in the response of Uzziah. Now I'm going to tell you that I'm I am preaching to men and women today. We're just human. We're made up of flesh and blood. We have the ability to get out of line. All of us have the ability to get out of line, to step over the line. We have the ability to get out of sorts with God or with God's plan or His purpose. And so here's what's important when we do, not if we do, but when we do. I want to make sure how I respond, how I respond to the mercy of God, whether that mercy is a warm embrace that gently pulls me back or whether that response is a stern rebuke that says, you had better turn around and get out of here because you're in the wrong place. Amen. How did Uzziah respond in the form of this rebuke? We find that in verse 19. The Bible says, Then Uzziah was wroth. Amen. And, and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. He's still standing there with an instrument in his hand. He had no business even holding. He's still standing there. And, and uh, let me tell you, you, you don't rise to the position of kinghood without not knowing the law. I mean, he knew he was wrong when he walked in. He knew he was wrong when he picked up the censer. He knew that Uzziah and those priests that were with him was right. But instead of cowing down, backing down, instead of having a contrite spirit, the Bible says that he got mad, wroth. He mean, he got mad. And the scripture says, and while he was wroth with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord from beside the, the incense altar. Now just think about that. I mean, this didn't take place three days later. This didn't take place over the next several days or, or weeks, but standing right there in the temple because God saw his heart. God saw his motives and God understood this man is not just crossed up on the outside, he's crossed up on the inside. And while he was standing in the temple of the Lord, he was smitten with leprosy because of this sin. He was obviously banished. Again, according to the law, banished to a leper colony. And now Jotham, Josiah's son, his son, was appointed over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now, the very next verse tells us that Uzziah passed away or he slept with his fathers, as the scripture says. He died in this condition. He had a great name. He had a great influence. He was a great leader. But somehow or another, in the end, he let his own ego, his own arrogance get ahead of what God had in store for him. And he just passes from the scene. We would like to hope that those seed would just die with him. But that's not necessarily how it works. In the 27th chapter, of Second Chronicles, it opens with Jotham, Jotham sitting on his father's throne. He reigned 16 years. And as you begin to read the next chapter of this storied life, we find an interesting statement that's made about the life of Jotham. The Bible says in verse 2, And he did that which was right. Excuse me, right, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit he entered not into the temple of the Lord, and the people did yet 
corruptly. Jotham was doing everything within his power to try to turn this around. He was going to follow the good part of his father. He was going to do everything that he could. I'm going to take the good from my dad's leadership. I'm going to pull that in. And I, I, want to, I certainly want to avoid the error of my father's way. The Bible said he did that which was right. In the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father did. The scripture even goes on to reiterate how that he didn't make the same mistake that his father made. The scripture says, how be it, he entered not into the temple of the Lord. So apparently seeing what had happened to his father helped him to keep his own heart in check. To realize, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I know that is out of line and out of order. His accomplishments, his, Jotham's accomplishments are listed in verses 4 and 5. He built cities in the mountains of Judah. And in the forests he built castles and towers. The scriptures go on to say that he fought also with the kings of the Ammonites and prevailed against them. He defeated the enemy. And then according to verses 6 and 7, so Jotham, now Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. And then, and then the scripture says, Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, lo, they are written in the book, uh, book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Now I, I've, I've been this morning uh, up to this point speaking to you from the book of Chronicles. The first and second Chronicles are history books. And, and uh, history is very, very important. It's It's... Important to understand how we got where we are today. In the book of First and Second Kings, and of course in the books of First and Second Chronicles, we read about the generations of kings and leaders, and and uh, one after another. I'm talking about generation to generation. As you read, you will find this common yet sad commentary running through these books. You will read about how one king after another they all vacillate between. Two different statements that seem to be common threads. Statements that seem to serve as a footnote of their lives and their leadership. You're going to read, as you read through these two books, or four books, you're going to read about, uh, and you're going to read things like this. And they did that which was right in the sight of the Lord their God. Amen. That seems well. We, we like to read that. And then a statement of another king or another leader will invariably father, follow this. And you Bible students know this. Uh, another king will be mentioned and then the footnote of his life will say something like this. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord their God. Here was a man doing good, then another to do evil. Another to do good, another to do evil. As a matter of fact, Jotham, who we were talking about, Jotham was the eleventh king of Judah and he was the 11th king of Judah to, to, from Jotham to Zedekiah who was the 20th king from the 11th king to the 20th king and Zedekiah was also the last king of Judah but from the 11th one to the 20th one only Jotham, Hezekiah and Josiah could be called good kings that's 3 out of 10 3 out of 10 they would do right and then some would do wrong and generations of wrong. And then another do right and then wrong and generations of wrong. I want to tell you this morning that as we try now to bring this into a 21st century church setting, we need to, we need to understand the value of what is being preached behind this desk. We need to understand the value of what was being preached last Sunday morning behind this desk. Wow, I mentioned that Wednesday night. We think we may tend to think in our minds that once one generation gets this in their heart, amen, that it'll just pass from one generation to another. But nothing could be further from the truth. I'm going to tell you that from generation to generation, we need to make sure that these young men and these young women get this in their heart from generation to generation. Amen. Now, I pray that God would help us today to understand the gravity of what I'm talking about. I have watched as well as you, God fearing men and women that didn't have one soul in their family or their network of friends that followed their steps. Amen. And so this is just one more reason why that we need to be praying for our Sunday school and our children's ministry and our student ministry because we want to make sure that they're not just coming to church to be entertained. Amen. We want to make sure that they're 
they're not just coming here and, and, and all we're going to offer them is just milk and cookies or a, a hot dog and a good time. But we want to make sure that in the midst of all of that, that a message that will keep them, a message that will hold them, a message that will preserve them is going to go from generation to generation. We can't just assume that, uh, that, that uh, I think Justin got uh, my brown eyes. And so, I, I mean, we just handed that to him, just handed that to him as, as well as all of our millions of dollars. It's going to be just handed, handed to him. We, <laughs> amen. We're, well, I got you there. You talk about money. You got them there. Amen. It's, we just think something's just going to be thrown, something's just going to go down. You're just going to wind up with your father's hands, or you're going to wind up with your mother's features here and there. But I'm going to tell you spiritually, that's not how it happens. Amen. You, you can have a praying mother that can raise a, he, raise a heathenistic child, a praying, dedicated father. Hey, hear me this morning. I'm being honest with you. I'm being forward, but I'm being honest with you. That's why. We can't just hope they get it. We can't just leave it before them and just hope everything comes all right. We need to open the Word of God. That's why Deuteronomy 6 and 4, as you begin to read Deuteronomy 6, it almost seems as though we're just driving something in the ground. But he said, you need to talk about this when you lay down. You need to talk about this when you rise up. You need to talk about this when you walk by the way. You need to ride it on your hand. You need to ride it before your forehead. That seems like an overkill but I'm going to tell you from generation to generation I want the next generation to know what I know I want the next generation to feel what I feel and to experience what I have experienced I'm going to take it one step further I pray God anoints them more than he's anointed us I pray God blesses them more than he's blessed us (laughs) hallelujah from generation to generation let the power of the Holy Ghost be poured on these that will come. I'm not just, let me be clear. (laughs) Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to be clear. I'm not just talking about our offspring. I'm not just talking about our youth that are in our annex and Sunday school classes this morning. But I'm talking about to all that are afar off. I'm talking about to young couples that are still destined to walk through that door. I'm talking about families that God is dealing with right now and drawing to this church when they get here. We want to love them and we want to welcome them. We want to wrap our arms around them. We want to give them a warm place to get in out of the weather hallelujah we want to give them a safe place to come but hear me today when they get here I don't want them to just be entertained by our music or entertained by our programs but I want to break off the loaf of this book and plant it in their heart why because generation to generation we got to get this in our heart we got to get this in our heart from generation to generation hallelujah Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm, I love you, Jesus. Amen, amen. We gotta get this message in their heart. We need to make sure this message is preserved from generation to generation. And I'm going to just say this as a side note that we are doing every, we are going to be doing better, I trust, than we have ever done in our past along these lines right here to make sure that people don't just slip through our fingers because we're not watching. I want to make sure they understand what thus saith the word of the Lord. Not just come here and feel something and go home. Get something in your heart. Get it driven in your heart. Get it tamped in tight. Amen. Why? Because the wind winds of, of compromise are going to blow. The winds of opposition are going to come our way and we've got to have something that will stand. Amen. I have often said that our methods have to change as the world around us changes. Our methods have to change. That's not being fickle. That's not being carnal. That's being honest and that's being wise. The Bible talks about in the book of First uh, Chronicles 12 the Bible talks about the, the children of Issachar. Now there's a note about these children of Issachar. The scripture says these were men that had understanding of the times. And so if there was ever a time we needed to be blessed with the spirit of the children of Issachar is the day that we're living in so that we would have an understanding of the times. Amen. We need to understand not only the times, but as a church, we've got to be resilient enough to resist change. 
Amen. You got a little quiet right there. I'm not setting you up for anything. I'm just telling you. Amen. There's nothing landslide coming after this. I'm just telling you that we got to be resilient enough to be flexible to say, Lord, help us to be relevant to the day that we are living in. The word relevant's kind of worn out, and some even have abused that word. But I do think that we have to be that we have to be wise about that. There's some things that that are just a part of tradition. Some things that are just part of culture, and there's nothing wrong with that as long as that's kept in balance. But there are some things that we could change that would have no bearing on how the Lord would look at us. Now, they're pretty important to us. But it would have no bearing on how the Lord would look at us. Let me give you an example to settle you. It's getting real quiet. We have our midweek service on Wednesday. That seems to work out best for us. But you know what? There are some churches that have their midweek service on Tuesday. I'm not sure how God lets them by with that. But it sure happens. I've got some friends that have their midweek service on Thursday night. Has no bearing on how I'm not being sassy this morning. I'm just trying to make a point that there's some things that can be changed that God, you know, there's nothing scripture that talks about that. Amen. Some, we begin our worship service on Sunday at 10. That seems to work all right with us. Sometimes 10.01, 10.02, but it's at 10. Amen. We're reminded of that when we're late. Amen. We begin at 10. We begin at 10 on Sunday, while others begin at 9.45. Some begin at 11, some 1, some 2. We have one church in our, in our district because they have to uh, lease a building. They can't start their, day, their, their Sunday service until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you know what? They still, God still blesses them and they still move because those are not things that, that matter. Those are not things that change. You, you could change that. That wouldn't make any difference whatsoever. God isn't worried about those, those things. But there are some absolutes that we just can't mess with. There are some things we can't move. That now we you you got to leave that alone because these things are things that matter. These are the things that we should be protecting with every fiber of our soul. Amen. We if we're not careful, no matter what or who has gone before us, Amen. That that can have uh, can have little to no effect on our lives today. Amen. No matter what has happened in our in our past, I'm thankful for the rich history of Hatchman Apostolic Church. I say that often. I'm thankful for that rich history. But you know what? It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. It's what I do with what happened yesterday. If I mishandle that, if I abuse that, this could all be lost. This could all be turned to dust. I'm being very honest with you today. Amen. So what happened yesterday is wonderful. I'm glad that we have that as a part of our history. But if this is to be sustained into our tomorrows, then I have got to get this for myself. I've got to get a hold of this. And when the winds of doubt begin to even blow in my own mind. I got to know that I'm going to stay with what I know works. I've got to hold on to what I know is true. Amen. No matter how things appear. You know, several, a few years ago, Brother Rayleigh gave a tremendous illustration. I have written this down. I've used it a few times and even other places because it, it just is such a common sense statement. He said that you can stand on a railroad track and, and look down. If it was a long stretch of railroad track, you could stand in between those tracks. And, if, and the illusion is that in time, down the tracks, those tracks cross or they meet. That's just how it appears. But you, but you see, you can't go by what things look like you got to go by what you know. And sometimes when we stand in our lives and look, it just looks like th- this makes no sense. This is wrong. But I can't go and go by what I feel. i got to go by what I know. And so when I feel that God is a million miles away, i got to know His Word said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When Job said, I can't find Him here. I can't find Him here. I can't find Him on my right or on my left but somehow he had enough of what he knew inside of him to hold on even when his wife said you ought to curse him and die he said I'm going to hold on I come into this world with nothing if I leave this world with nothing God is still God he is still true I'm talking about generation to generation generation to generation praise God Jotham 
If I could just summarize real quick. Jotham followed his father that died as a leper that forgot what God had done for him. Yet, Jotham did all that was within his power to do the right thing. Despite all of his good, he would give birth to a son that would follow him to the throne whose son's, his name would be Ahaz. Now, Ahaz, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Ahaz, uh, the son of Jotham, was a good king. Uh, Jotham was a good king. Amen. And then Ahaz, he gave birth. He was the father of Hezekiah, who was even a better king in some respects. However, himself, Ahaz was not a godly man. He was not a God-fearing man. He was not even what we would call a good man. Instead of discovering and doing the will of God, Ahaz imitated wicked kings of Israel and even the pagan practices of Assyria, according to 2 Kings 16. He proved to be nothing more than just a compromiser to his own destruction. When he came out, when he came under attack by those that God had sent to war against him, instead of turning his attention toward God and say, God, I need you to help me. God, I need you to help me. Ahaz was such a wicked man that he sent word to the king of Assyria to come and help him. He said, I'm gonna find my help in the world. I'm gonna find my help from even more wickedness. I'm gonna find my help from men that are more vile than me. And so the Bible Bible says in the book of 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 7, the Bible says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, Listen, don't read this too quickly. Please let me, let me pause. I'm the one reading, so let me say don't, to myself, don't read this too quickly. He sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, and listen what he said. Listen, this is a descendant of David. Please don't miss that. This is a descendant of David who said to the king of Assyria, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. He was essentially praying, if I could use that word a little bit loosely, to a pagan king to come save me out of the hand of the enemy. This is the seed of David that said, I am your son. I am your servant. He's over here polishing the enemy's boots. I'm your son. I'll do whatever you want. I am your servant. I'll do whatever you want. He called himself servant and son. That seems to be a strange position for a descendant of David, in my opinion. Look what he does. The Bible says in verse 8 that Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. I need you to help me. Let me, let me take, I need to give you, where could I get something to give you? And he went to the house of God and he got sacred vessels. And he took those sacred vessels and he placed them in the hands, in the possession of the king of Syria. Amen. And, and when he did, the king of Assyria hearkened to him and came to his rescue and defeated his enemy. But this is not over. Because you see, once you start rolling over, once you start once you start backing up, where are you going to stop? Is it all right if I just stand here in this pulpit as your pastor today? I'm going to ask you, Mom and Daddy, when you stop backing up, when you start backing up, where are you going to stop backing up? Amen. When are you going to draw the line? Where is no going to be no? And when is no going to be no? I'm going to tell you that we need to hand some things generation to generation. God help us. Amen. In this house, I, I hope you don't feel ill toward me for this reference because my mom and dad would certainly not want to ever feel like they would fall in the category of perfect. They were not perfect by any means. But I'm going to tell you one thing among many that I'm thankful for. I don't ever remember a Sunday or a Wednesday or any other time 
time in our household where we were sitting around the breakfast table or the dining table saying, well, are we going to church tonight? I knew if they was having church anywhere, especially at the home church, we were going to be in church. Amen. I'm thankful for that. That put something in me. I want to be in the house of God. I want to be there when the doors are open. Amen. You say, well, that's easy for you to say because you're a preacher. Let me tell you this morning, I didn't come today just because I was preaching. I'm not here just because there's a Bible open in front of me. I was going to church a long time before I started preaching. And if I never, if I didn't preach tomorrow, I would still want to be in the house of God. Amen. I hear me. Why? I'm not doing this because this is hallelujah it's in my heart I want to I want to tell you why I'm doing this I'm not doing this because my granddaddy did it I'm not doing it because my mother and my daddy did it but I'm going to tell you in an altar of prayer from generation to generation I saw the revelation hear O Israel the Lord our God is one I saw the revelation that I got to take on his name in baptism I got this in my heart I see it for myself that I got to live separate and unspotted from the world I gotta come out. I gotta come out. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But please, I'm please don't let this little bit of movement distract you because I'm coming to the meat of what I want to talk about today. Verse 9 says that he hearkened to him and defeated. But, but here's, here's where this thing really starts spinning out of control. Now please stay with me. 16 and 10. 2 Kings 16 and 10. And the king Ahaz. See all this while he's been home. All this while he's just been home. He sent messages to help me. He sent the vessels to him but now he kind of feels a little bit of an obligation I think I'm just going to go visit old Tiglag Pileser so he went to meet him and while he was there watch what happened he saw an altar at Damascus and the king Ahaz sent Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it, according to the workmanship thereof. I meant to ask you permission to do this this morning, but I forgot. But uh, it's nothing bad. But I remember I've told much, much, much worse things I can tell you. <laughs> but I can remember in our, in our young days, we were just going to a few conferences. I remember my wife sometimes just try to get a new hairdo or something. I'd look over sometimes during church, not during the preaching or anything important, but she'd just be, she'd be drawing. I said, what in the world are you doing? She said, she would draw that hairdo on a piece of paper and go home. Some of you are giggling because you must have done this yourself. She would draw that hairdo and she'd go home and she'd work at it, work at it, work at it. And finally one time she'd walk out and ta-da, she got it. She got it. She got. That's what I thought about when. The, that's a little free story I just told there through there for nothing. And here's what happened. He saw an altar at Damascus, and he sent to Uriah the priest the fashion of the altar and the pattern of the altar, according to the workmanship thereof. He sent this home. Build this. Build this. And Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent him from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against, that's an unusual word in the King James language, but here's what it means. He made it before the King Ahaz came home from Damascus. In other words, when Ahaz got back, the altar was there. What do you think? At first, he just sent gifts to Syria. Now he goes to visit. Then he gets this idea for a new altar. And and if we're not careful, this is a picture of what happens in the church today. We see something in the world and we think, that'll fit. That ought to work with what we're doing. And before you know it, the church is imitating the world instead of the world imitating the church. Amen. One man said not many, many years ago, I mean many years ago, one man said the problem is, is, that, the, is that the church is, it, not just that the church is 
getting too worldly, but the world's world's getting too churchy, and the lines are getting blurred, and we don't know what's right, and we don't know what's wrong. Amen. That wasn't enough to construct a new altar, but watch what happens next. Verses 12 and 13, I got to hurry. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and offered thereon. This was not just a piece of furniture. He didn't say, I'd like this in my study to remind me of a man who helped me. No, he built an altar, had an altar built and then he started offering on it and he burnt his offering and his meat offering and poured out his drink offering and sprinkled blood for, of his peace offers upon the altar. This was so bad, but we keep reading it gets worse. Amen. Here's what, here's what I'm talking about. Verse 14, the Bible says, and he brought also the brazen altar which was before the Lord from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and he put in on the north side of the altar. Did you catch that? He took the brazen altar that God gave them the instructions for in Exodus. He didn't just bring a new altar into the temple, but he took the old altar out of the way and said, let's set that over here. And let's put this new altar right here. And he said, you start offering all your praises, offering all your sacrifices. You do all the work right here. Amen. You know what? I, 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 don't know much, I don't know really what was going on in his mind. I think one thing, no matter how far out there he was, he knew one thing. I better not tear it up. I'm just going to move it. He didn't tear it up. He just moved it out of the way. But, you know, there's a danger in that. There's a danger in that. Amen. I'm going to ask you this as we stand. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. You see, a lot of people have moved the altar now Ahaz knew where they moved it as a matter of fact there's even a reference to that that he could still go there that he could still go there that brazen altar don't require by inquire by that anymore he said that brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by Or in other words, in the original language, it says, I'll decide what to do with that brazen altar. Let me decide what to do with that. You you guys, you just worship right here, and I'll figure out what to do with that. Now, I'm going to tell you this morning, and here's my question. For those that have removed the altar, for those who have said some of this stuff is just not so important, here's the danger. You know where the original altar is. But what will your children do? What will your friends, where will your friends go? Where will they go? What will they do? I feel the Holy Ghost today. I feel the Holy Ghost pressing in my heart. Amen. I, I ask myself this morning, I want to make sure that the generation behind me is going to sacrifice and worship. Amen. I know we're drawing some Old Testament analogies into a 21st century church, but I think you're strong enough to get it and wise enough to get it. Amen. I'm going to tell you, I want want our children to worship at the same altar that we're worshiping on. Amen. Praying at the same altar we're praying at. Amen. I I know I'm speaking figuratively today, but I don't want to move some things, Brother Pope. These things are too important. I want to just say, hey, let's make us something new and let's move that old thing over there. It don't matter. Just leave that alone. I'll figure out what to do with that later I say God help us to realize that from generation to generation we need to be careful I don't want just to assume people know this or they get this I want to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we've done everything we can do not to just pray people through the Holy Ghost but to disciple them amen to disciple them into mature Christians where they themselves can give birth hallelujah spiritually would you pray with me in that fashion amen would you pray with me in that fashion hallelujah Lord, I'm asking you today to let the authority and the anointing of the Holy Ghost touch our church. Lord, don't let us just get intoxicated on just having a good service here and there. But oh God, help us to be empowered and impassioned. Help us, oh God, to feel the weight and the responsibility to pass this message from generation to generation from generation to generation. I want people to always hear Holy Ghost preaching from behind this desk. I want people to always hear Holy Ghost preaching behind this desk. Let them always hear Holy Ghost singing behind these these musical instruments. Amen. Let there always be Holy Ghost singing in the praise team. Let there always be Holy Ghost 
teaching in the Sunday school room. Let there always be Holy Ghost teaching in our youth. Let there always be Holy Ghost teaching. Hallelujah. 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 From generation to generation. From generation to generation. Oh God, anoint us. Oh God, anoint us. Oh God, help us not to be careless. Help us not to be careless. Help us not to be careless. My God, my God, my God. Now I'm asking you who? I'm asking you who? Who's going to get under this burden? Who's going to let the altar gnaw into our shoulder? Who's going to let this message penetrate our spirit? Who's going to... Who's going to go home today and say, you know what, we're going to make some changes in our household. We're going to make some changes in how we do things around here. Hey man, we've got, we've got so busy we push God. He's, he's way out here on the fringe. And we've got so busy we just, you know, church is just something if we can do, we'll do that if we can fit it in. Prayer, we'll do that if we can fit it in. Bible reading, we'll do that if we can fit it in. Home Bible study. Hey man, when's the last time that you talked to somebody about this great message that transformed your life? When's the last time you told somebody about the power of the blood that can forgive their sin? Hey Amen. And the power of baptism that can wash and cleanse their sin. I'm not trying to condemn us today. I'm telling you the Holy Ghost is here in this house to convict our heart and tell us that we got to get a hold of this thing. We got to grab life by the horn and stop it. Slow it down and say I got to get my priorities straight. I got to get my priorities straight. Amen. What altar? I ask you today, what altar did you move into your life? that took the place of the brazen altar? What did you move in your home, in your life? What did you move into your family? What was it that was so important that you slid what God ordained in Exodus? We're just going to slide that a little north. We're just slide that a little north. I'm telling you, Brother Gibson, the Holy Ghost is in this house. Amen. I'm asking you this morning, what did I move in my life? What did I allow in my life that it took the place of an altar, that it took the place of sacrifice? Where did I put that altar? I want my children to know where it is. I want my, I want my family to know where I want my friends to know where it is. I want them to be able to find the same God that I found I'm not going to the world to try to find a design I'm not trying to go to the world to find out how we ought to have church I'm going to tell you we need to go to the altar we need to go to a place of consecration and brokenness and say God help me help me help me oh what was it what was it where did it happen when did it happen that we put something in our life that took the place of something so important Oh, in Jesus' name. My God, we ought to respond to this, church. My God, we ought to respond to this. Don't just stand unmoved by God's word. Not because I preach. Amen. You need to hear, thus saith the word of the Lord. What did you move in your life that's more important? Oh, 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 oh. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.